Welcome to Orophonic, a podcast about podfic. Your hosts this month are Anasuna, Sarah, and Pedica. You might recognize that there's some new names for our show, but certainly people that have been in podfic fandom for a very long time. You guys may remember that last month we asked for some new hosts, and Anat and Fleur both kindly stepped up to join in with us. So it's going to be new and exciting. Yay! Let's hope. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I don't feel new and exciting, but we'll see. And it's not even, like, our topic is not even new and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I our mean, topic is fairly old and exciting, I think is fair to say. Yes. Old as far as, like, audiofic fandom and beyond. Audiofic archive fandom and beyond is. Because it is Stargate Atlantis this month. Which, even now, even though it hasn't been a super active fandom for years, it's still the number two fandom on the Audiofic Archive with the most podfix. Anyways, we should jump back and do news before we jump into the topic. So, the Pop Together individual sign-ups has started uh, on May 20th, and uh, will start on May 27th for groups. Um, Pot Together is something where you sign up as a pot figure or a writer and then you get kind of matched up for fandoms. And you can also sign up as a group, so a writer and a pot figure together or several pot figures and writers together. And the challenge is to create a story and a pot fig that is new and made for reading out loud. I'm one of the mods again this year. It should be fun. It's always fun. It is. There's also Marvel Big Bang that has sign-up starting, and this one accepts Podfix as a primary work. Um, I mentioned it last month. I've participated in it for the last two years at least. But, yeah, it is a great opportunity to Podfix something in Marvel, at least 10,000 words, and um, have lots of fun. So uh, sign-ups go until June 1st. And there's also an HP Podfic Fest, which I didn't know, to my great shame, because this is one of my fandoms. Oh, it's been running for years, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm just uh, quite out of it, I guess. <laughs> so it started on May 15th, and the sign-ups are open and ongoing. And they are very encouraging for new podfakers. If you dropped out last year, you can still sign up. It looks great. I don't know if they have a minimum, but it's just kind of like record something in Harry Potter, any pairing, any gen. And if you want to record more than one, that's even awesomer. There's more. The foreign language podfakes are welcome. Crossovers and fusions are also welcome. Cool. And the Podficker signups run all the way to the Podfic deadline. So basically you can join it like the day before it ends and submit something and that's not a problem. Yeah, they're pretty low key about that stuff. So it's a fun one. I'm going to keep that tab open because I haven't been Podficking basically at all for a long time, but I'd like to get back into it. And that looks really like a welcoming, great, fast environment to do something. Yeah, yeah, we'll look at it too, because I have an HP podfig in the works and I may need a kick in the butt. <laughs> so maybe that helps. Yeah, I hope it does. Our next item is that the podfig Big Bang signups are open. They're in round six now. 
The sign-ups began May 20th and there are ongoing. Posting period will be October 15 to 31st. The mission there is to record a podfig with a minimum of 10,000 words. And you may produce as many podfigs as you wish for it. You may collaborate with other podfigers. Uh, there's also an artist sign-up. Artists can claim a podfig and then create cover art for it. There is the Stony Trump's Hate auction happening right now. And it ends, I think, the, it goes from the 21st to the 27th. And it is much like the fandom Trump's Hate, where you donate money to organizations that in various different ways help combat some of the stupid stuff that Trump's putting through and, and the damage that he's doing to the world. One of the things that I like about the Stony Trump's Hate one is they have a number of international organizations that you can donate to. So, you know, if you're in a country that is not America, you can donate to an organization that might have like a local presence for you or at least be able to give you a local tax receipt. <laughs> so they just have that items from it have to revolve around Steve and or Tony in some way. So there are four podfickers that are up there right now. I am one of them. And you can go and bid on us until the 27th. Great. Cool. And then our last news item is called uh, Podfick Posting Guide by Schmaler on AO3. And it's a guide for posting your podfick on AO3. I haven't finished reading it, but it's a very nice explanation of the mechanics of AO3 as we use them for a podfic right now in the state that they're in. It has screenshots of the editing platform, explanations about the tags podfic is using, don't, an example of code for the body of the entry, and all these things that are very useful if you've ever hesitated posting Podfic on AO3 or if what made you hesitate was not knowing how to do it, it's very useful. That is our news for this month, which is more than we normally have. Um, I was joking before we started recording that it seems like the summer challenge season has begun. <laughs> it has indeed. So you have lots of options out there if you'd like a kick in the butt to help you get podficking. Yes. And God knows some, sometimes you need it. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about we move on to talkbacks? We didn't have any recorded talkbacks. We have two uh, in written form, though. I'm going to read the first one, which was an anonymous comment that came on the My Little Pony episode. And it says, I really enjoyed listening to this. I'd like to hear more dispatches from idiosyncratic fanish communities. And then there was some feedback for the interviewers that you can check out if you're interested. And I mean, certainly my response to this is I was also super fascinated by the MLP episode. And I would love to have more interviews with people in podfic fandom that aren't quite in the podfic circles that that I'm more familiar with, I guess is what I mean to say. Yeah. Part of it, though, is just finding them so if you yeah. know of any let us know and we will find people in that fandom and try and interview them and we'll keep an eye out for it but it's a matter of 
knowing where to look and who is like that. And Kitsune Hart, who did that episode, is in My Little Pony fandom, which is why she knew that there were these differences that existed between MLP and our corners of Podfic fandom. But yeah, so if you're someone who crosses over or is aware of other fandoms that do Podfic slightly differently, let us know and we'll try and interview them. And I want to say something else. I mean, obviously you're right. It's hard to know what you don't know. So it's hard to find them. Yeah. And I, I also really enjoyed this episode as a listener and really would like more of this kind if we can make them. But I want to comment on characterizing it as idiosyncratic fanish communities. I think it's a great way of putting it because <clears throat> fanish communities are idiosyncratic. And at the same time, it sounds a little bit like I would like to hear more voices with an accent, which is a thing that you say when you think that some voices don't have an accent, right? (laughs) So dispatches from idiosyncratic fanish communities makes it sound like the rest of the podcast is about a community that is not idiosyncratic, which is not true. Yeah, and I, that was definitely uh-huh. something that I was aware of when I was listening to the episode and, and like editing it for later because people always think that their corner is normal. And if people don't do it like that, why are you weird? And sometimes too, the fandom that Kitsune Hart was describing, I was like, oh, that's not even how I would describe my corner of fandom. So it's everyone has their own take on it and it comes out in different ways. And everyone's fanish experience is just, you know, slightly different from the others. Yeah. We also got another comment from Alice. Love this episode. I had so many thoughts. I'm considering doing a talk back later. Just wanted to make a quick note now. I tried YouTube, but it refused to post my podfic, saying it was too long due to previous content violations on YouTube made by my fanmates. Widows have all sorts of problems with YouTube. I am lamenting the lack of a unified audio site after Jin Jerley's archive a problem. Now is the time to look for new sites, but content challenges are everywhere and self-hosting isn't always possible. I would appreciate your opinion on Archive.org. Not known for Podfake, and I don't know how it fits with their mission, but I have used it before. It hosts, archives, and streams audio, but it's not easy to use to find other Podfakers. Anyway, love the show. Alex Knox. Have either of you used archive.org? For Podfake? Mm-hmm. No. No. Yeah. I mean, I have my own hosting, so I haven't tried a lot of the other hosting options out there. I've definitely seen people using it. I think probably the biggest benefit for it would be purely as hosting. Like, I don't think it's ever the site that I would go looking for Podfic on, but there's a lot of people that are posting their Podfics to, like, Mediafire or, you know, other even more temporary hosting places. Mm -hmm. And having it on archive.org, which is solid, like, they're not going to delete that link on you. That kind of goes against their mission. And the fact that it allows streaming and whatnot could be very useful to people when cross-posting to places like Twitter, Tumblr, and AO3. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think I would ever, like I said, use it to find Podfic, but if all you need is hosting to yeah. get your stuff on AO3, then I, I've seen others use it. I don't think I've ever had issues downloading from it. So, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't tried using it myself but they might not have the limits that a lot of the other hostings have where you either have to keep your total numbers low or 
pay for an advanced product, Mediafire can have that or Google Drive will like I've also seen people host on Google Drive, yeah. which I don't love as much. It's it's a little bit more finicky getting the files off of. And there is a limit to how many files you can have on on Drive. You run out of space. I think SoundCloud also has those limits and I've seen people host there. Yeah. It was meant more for music, I think. And there is longer stuff on there. People post podcasts and stuff. You know, when there's some really, like, I'm, I'm imagining someone like Opal Song trying to get hosting if she didn't have it through me, where she regularly mm-hmm. posts, like, epic, epically long stuff. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. But putting it out there, if you are someone who hosts with archive.org, send us a talk back and let us know how you liked it. And we can pass that on and to our listeners. So our main topic, as we kind of alluded to at the beginning, is Stargate Atlantis. And I thought we might start off with just kind of talking not specifically about Podfic, but what it was like to be in that fandom. Because you were in it from it's certainly during its height, right, Anitsuno? I felt like I was late to it, but I wasn't that much in retrospect. I think... For me, the interesting thing about Stargate Atlantis is that I think it's the first fandom that I plunged into solely because of fandom. Same. I linger into every fandom. So Low Trips was pretty much dead in 2006, but I was still in it. But I started reading Stargate Atlantis fic because of authors I liked. And mm. through reading, I eventually started watching the show, which was at the time, I think, in its second or third season. So I caught up two seasons in like a month or whatever, and then I continued watching and reading and even writing and potficking. It's the first time I became a fan of a show through pretty much reading Slash. Normally once I glomp onto a pairing, that's it for me. Like you can't ever get me to change my pairing. It's And it can be very inconvenient at times. As she was the one fandom where that changed because my initial pairing for that fandom was Rodney Beckett. And there is very little fic out there for it because one of the things that is very true about Stargate Atlantis is it's probably something like 90% Mick Shep, which is John uh, Shepard and Rodney McKay. Yes. Even the stuff that's not like slashy Mick Shep, it's one of the fandoms that has a lot of really good gen out there written for it. But generally, even the gen stuff would focus on those two characters as the main characters, like even though it had an ensemble cast. So the majority of that fandom was based on John Shepard and Rodney McKay, with I think Rodney McKay being a little bit more loved because he's the geeky person that like is a little bit more of a fandom self insert. Yeah. I mean, there were fixations on really both of them. Uh, McKay, I guess became beloved through the show because of its actual show characteristics as written or as intended. Like he's nerdy, he's overly verbal and cerebral and he gets really excited. And he's also the one who gets picked on for his lack of fitness and he's abrasive and whatever. So he has a lot of things to become one of those beloved nerds that fandom likes. But then John Shepard became a fandom beloved figure 
I think through the thick and fandom reaction oh, yeah. to it more, more than the show. I mean, because of the show and because of what happens in the show and who he is in the show, but not who he is in the show the way that writers and producers visibly intended. And that's the thing that's fascinating about John as a fandom object of fixation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really think, yes, that writers and producers didn't intend him um, like he was seen from fandom. But I think that the actor, Joe Flanagan, also really didn't act him like writers and producers had intended him. That's so true. Yes, absolutely. I mean, so, he was very much kind of supposed to be the Jack character. Yeah. Um, and he was so not. But he was, he had, uh, superficial, like, similarities with, like, you know, sarcasm and, like, you know, team leader yeah. and whatever. But yeah, he definitely in all the details was pretty different. Yeah. That's really an interesting contrast between the two of them. Like, of course, they both have fandom personas that are maybe not exactly their show personas, but for the contrast for John's character is so much bigger than for Rodney's character. I definitely think, too, Stargate was one of those shows that, like, it got a really strong fandom going, and it had enough things within the premise of the show that even when, like, the show started going in weird and bad directions, people were just too in love with the fandom to like they just yeah. love the fandom so much that they wouldn't jump ship even when the show was not necessarily worthy of their love because the, the fandom is, it had a huge momentum it had a flashfic community that was yes. absolutely thriving it had the best fic finder com I've ever seen it still has I that mean you can awesome. still use the fic finders com yeah. I, I used it maybe for the first time in in years, I used it a few months ago, you know, and, and it had so many other comms that were active and it had a lot of great writers and it invented or it put forward a lot of great tropes. And for me, it is one of the biggest, I mean, I've been in the HB fandom and it's arguably a huge fandom, but also because of that, we all know it's very splintered. It has, you know, sub communities and sub groups and sub fandoms in essence. Like I'm not really close to anyone who's in the Marauders fandom because I'm more of a Harry Draco fan and et cetera, et cetera. But Stargate, even though of course it had like fan slashes on one corner and people who wrote hats on the other and people who wrote slash in the middle or whatever, it still had like this the cohesiveness that made it one fandom. And for me, it's one of the biggest sort of juggernaut, super powerful, real powerhouse of a fandom that I've ever been in, I think. It had so much momentum going. This makes me think of uh, a comment from Slash Report, which is another fandom podcast, in their Stargate Atlantis episode, said something like, The fact that SGA is truly, like, the, I feel like the biggest fandom that, like exploded during the internet age and yeah. probably the last one that will ever be that size. This show was really fucking slashy, like in the most classic sense of the word slashy, right? Like it so was, slashy. And it was oftentimes homoerotic to the absurd. And it had that latitude because it operated in the earlier incarnation of media where the default presumption was that there was no way that these two dudes were gay and that they never even considered what they were doing was gay, you know? Like, you can't really have a modern fandom with that implication anymore. Like, these days, if you go to that extreme and you don't, like, address it 
or do something with it, it comes off as like homophobic. And so it just, it was like this melting pot of all these things that fandom did really well. And like, certainly the elements within the show that made it really fun. You know, the ancients made a machine that gave you exploding tumors. They gave you, like, they've had machines that had nanites that killed you dead. Like, they just had, like, all of these recklessly dangerous and, like, random inventions spread across Atlantis of this city that the team had gone in to try and learn from and deal with after all the ancients were gone that, like, became like a a thick trope of, like, those crazy ancients, they'll make anything. Like, of course they have, like, Mpreg machines or machines that, like, will change your sex for you. They have machines that will, like, make two people in one body because that was also something that happened in the show at least once. And it created so many awesome tropes that fandom just ran with that a lot of the fandoms that I've been in since just didn't have that openness to it. And there just really was fic for everything. Like, as I was finishing up Stargate Atlantis, I was meeting my, I met my Finnish roommates, but it kind of became like an ongoing joke that like half my sentences started with, there's an SGA fic where... Because there just so much was covered in that fandom and it was amazing. I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing confluence of, of circumstances because it was also the heyday of LJ and also it was still, I mean, of course there's always been fandom and there's been fandom everywhere, but it was an era in which fandom was concentrated on one platform and was growing at the same time. And the show, apart from everything you said, yeah, I mean, of course, it was a science fiction show, which enables so much in imagination. But it was also kind of, not really, but a little bit structured like a procedural, where even though it's an arc show or a monster of the week show, I mean, there's this aspect of the monster of the week or the plot of the week show, which also spawns so many things. So, yeah, it was like the format of the show and then the weird actor choices that that Flanagan made that gave, like, John this interesting character. And then you're right with the the problems of DADT and the, the gay rights and, and the sort of buddy vibe that maybe we don't have the same way now anymore between men on TV because people are more aware of gay people in general. Yeah. So, yeah, it, there was, like, a bunch of reasons that all sort of came together to make this explosion of stuff. For Potvik, it was also a question of good timing. Like, it was the moment where Potvik started existing as Potvik, pretty much. And it was at a point where suddenly it wasn't ridiculously expensive to get microphones, especially if you were okay with lower quality ones, which people were. Like, there was Audacity that was free, and it was one of those fandoms that just had that mindset early on of like, yay, Potvik. Yeah. Whereas pretty much every other fandom, except for maybe Supernatural and Due South at the time, if you went and asked to make a podfic of something, someone would be like, what's that? Yeah. And they just would have no idea. Yeah, but word of mouth within the fandom moved very fast. And also some BNFs in the fandom were very yeah. pro-Potfic immediately. And they, yeah, Speranza yeah. started, you know, praising Potfic immediately. And you had people like Rage Proof Rock who were making Potfics of their own, own works, fic, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I mean, my my first Potfic was SGA as well. 
wasn't something. the first one I created, but it was the first one I listened to. And actually, the first podfic that I listened to was one of Rage Proof Rocks's podfics of her own works. Yeah. I still listen to them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, there's some of my favorites in there that, like, you know, you just go back to and listen to all the time. Like, I went and looked in my pinboard, which I didn't start using Delicious, which I then transferred over to pinboard, until after I was out of the Stargate fandom. There were still, like, over a 100 Stargate podfics that were pinned in there. So, yeah, there's definitely, and it just had some really good in ways that I find that fandom these days, I can sometimes be less satisfied with because fandom is much more interested solely in relationship dynamics as opposed to world dynamics. Yeah. And Stargate had a good balance of both. You could get some amazingly plotty stuff that still had like relationship stories in it that were meaningful. Yeah. Um, and you can also get it without the relationship stories. There was a lot of really great gen or if it was friendship relationships instead of romantic relationships. I just find that it's a lot harder to find stories these days that work with the existing canon and play within the structures of it and really are like speculative fiction more than just relying on characters. Maybe I was just not looking in the right places these days, but that was one thing that Stargate had in spades where you could get, you know, the number of politically motivated stories out there of ones where it's like Atlantis just breaks from Earth entirely and or like the wars that might end up happening. There was a lot of like DADT commentary that was built in there. There was a lot of stuff where people were talking about the mechanics of the world in in fairly sophisticated ways at times. Yeah, some of my favorite works of fandom in general are fix and podfix from SGA. I linger in fandoms, which means <clears throat> I don't let go easily anyway. But even if I don't let go easily, there's still stuff that I end up moving past or moving f- moving on from. And Stargate is not one of them. Like Stargate <laughs> is a forever fandom for me. And it's not the show. I don't go back and rewatch the show. But I do go back and rewatch vids and I do go back and reread stories and I listen to Podfic. Some of the Podfics that I know by heart, pretty much all Stargate Atlantis or Teen Wolf. So. Yeah. Anyways, I did want to talk a little bit about like I mentioned some of the tropes that existed in it and then talk about Podfics that fall under them. Sure. Those crazy ancients and technology gone wrong or <laughs> whatever. And. Certainly one of the first ones that come to mind for me with that is one that, and it's, you know, you have podficked as well as gingerly. It's beautiful lifetime event. Yeah. Certainly that is such a staple in that, in Stargate fandom. It's one of those stories that like everyone list or at least read, if not listened to the podfics of. I mean, it's a really good example of SGA fic because it's a really good fic and it's a definitely an SGA trope. You know, there's this amazing machine and they plug it in the wrong way and, and poof, they get a baby. So <laughs> that really is like an SGA trope. It has a slower burn than usual because it's like 10 years in that they finally get together, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. what makes it such a great story is it's a sort of love story in reverse. Like they get the baby first and then they get married and then they understand that they are married and then they fall in love. 
which is yeah, it's normally not the order that you do things in, hopefully. But it's also a Patek fandom history thing. I, I think it was the first time that there was what we've called later a simulpod. We were fighting, Gingerly and I, both for the idea that repods are okay. And because it was still early in Patek fandom life in general, it was not like as obvious to everyone. No, it was generally considered if you repotted something, it's because you thought the first one sucked. Right. Was the assumption, even right. if it was the reality. Right. And that made us both very sad. And so I don't know if we sort of talked it over before we started recording. But anyway, at some point we realized, if not planned, that we were both recording the same story and we decided to release it at the same time to say it's okay to have several versions of the same story out there. So that was, I think, the first simulpod that was deliberate. It really was like... Not just deliberately posted together, but posted together to say repods are okay. Yeah. Do you guys have any that you want to add to that trope as an example? Well, I'm not sure if it's tech gone wrong, but it's definitely a those crazy ancients tech thing. There's an amazing fic of always should be with someone you love. It's uh, Things with Wings fic that... I recorded a long time ago, but then that I got for ITPE this year, that Rose Creighton recorded, which I think was super great. Like for ITPE this year, I got like 11 podfix and some of them were SGA, which is unexpected in 2016, right? <laughs> yeah. And she amusingly, without knowing, picked fix that I'd already recorded as well. So <laughs> it's like, again, repods are great. You know, that made me so happy. That's a that's a tech gone wrong or tech gone weird thing because it's a sex change story. It's sort of basically the one where John and Rodney become lesbians. Oh. Or something oh, like that. Okay. <laughs> kind of similar. Uh there's You're Pretty Good Looking for a Girl by Trinity of One that was read by Dodificus. Yes. And that's also one where Rodney gets a sex change. There's so many good sex change stories, and I love that, you know, the the fandom took it in so many directions as well, like permanent change, not permanent change, uh, change that reveals them to one another. <laughs> My favorite trope in SGA is the next one on your list. It's aliens made them do it. <laughs> Yes. Which is super fraught and terrible because sometimes now I think we need to go back and tag pretty much all those fakes with Dubcon at the minimum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the time they were not all tagged like that because we were not no. all aware. I'm into reading Dubcon and Noncon and I can say it. And aliens made them do it. There's just so many great stories that are like that. Some are funny, some are poignant, some really deal with the trauma of what can essentially be rape, depending what the story takes it to. If you have the right warnings, it can be a delicious trope and it can be super funny as well. That one's also a good trope. The example that I actually have that immediately springs to mind is Abstain. It was read by Mythic and written by Resonant. Yeah. But it was a really good example of how Stargate fan would just like glomp onto a trope and then every once in a while someone would just be like, no, let's examine this from a different perspective. Yeah. And play with it differently. And Abstain is one where aliens make them not do it. 
Yes. Where they have to sit in the same room overnight and not have sex. And they start by joking that it's going to be super easy because, of course, they've never had sex before and they're not even attracted to each other, they think. But then 15 hours later, they find it really, really hard to actually abstain. Yeah, it's a very sexy fic, too. I vaguely remember that one, but I'll have to re-listen. You should. So I vaguely remember that I've read that one before. I love my fic. My fic is a stupendous reader. The way that she performed Abstain is just, it's a masterpiece. I love it. For sure. Yeah. No, it sounds really good. I'll have to listen to that one. Kind of the next trope that I had on the list was don't ask, don't tell, because that was in full swing during the height through pretty much most of Stargate fandom and was something that got dealt with and talked about in fic a lot. Yes. It was a lot, but... Because there's one fake and part fake that comes to my mind immediately when we think of DADT. Me too. It's probably the same one, the one by Trinity of One that I can never properly pronounce. DADT Damieta Dayadavam. That one, yes. Yeah, which is an amazing fake. So great. And who did the pod fake again? Jessica. Yeah, she did an, a great job with it. Yes. It was kind of also one of those stories that I was like, yes, this is what speculative fiction is all about. Because it takes the trope and it takes it that, like, step too far and deals with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of dealing with slippery slope arguments, but it just really brings home, like, why this kind of thing is so horrific. It's Yeah, it's a very political fic. It's a real spec fic. It really is sort of science fiction used in the service of a political and an ethical argument, all seen through the lens of a gay romance with the two heroes of the fandom of the moment. And it's just Trinity of One is really gifted in that way. Like a lot of her yeah. is like that. And this one is particularly hard to forget. It really is. And it's got like one of the sexiest shoe tyings I've ever listened to. Because it's not really something that normally gets me, but they like tie each other's shoes and it was foreplay. <laughs> I think also a big story in the fandom is freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. That sort of deals with much more than that, but I think of that also when I think of DADT, so I'm pretty sure. There wasn't any mention. No? They didn't really mention DADT. Oh, okay. Not that I remember. I've listened to it not that long ago. There's a project by Quippo. Yeah, and then the sequel to it and the bands playing Hail to the Chief was uh by... General Ginger. That's like such a fandom staple. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Definitely like, it kind of made everyone cry. It was just incredibly emotionally gut-wrenching. Yeah. Which is why I didn't read it. Really? No. I I know that it was apparently very, very gut-wrenching and I was almost like, I don't have to read that. I want to read something that makes me happy. Not sad. One of the Things that Stargate has done, because they're in a lot of life and death situations, there's at least a couple stories that come to mind that very much deal with grief. Yeah. And that's one of them, because it's the one and only time I read it, I didn't cry, but listening to the podfic made me cry. Right. Which, yeah. Like, there's just that extra level of emotion, and it's being channeled through other people, it got me then in ways that reading it alone didn't. Yeah. I did appreciate the like living grief aspect of it. 
there was one that mentioned DADT that was a new explanation written by Blue Spirit and plot figure is Penny Play Knits. That is um, after Atlantis goes back to Earth and they and DADT is well is there then and everyone is oh John will be so happy about it and Rodney's more like why? I mean, of course he would because he's uh, a good leader and he's happy for all the people under his command who can be open right now. But why would he personally be happy about it? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, it's very cute. And I always love Penny's reading, so. Yeah. Another trope that was fairly common was Atlantis itself, which was like the city that they were living in, being sentient on some level. Yeah, that had some really great ones. Although the one that immediately comes to mind for me is foolproof and incapable of error, which was podfict by Constance B and written by Neri. And that's also kind of falls under the aliens make them do it thing because the AI was like a failed one because it was kind of nuts. And like when she turns on, she asks to speak to Rodney. Roddy's like, yes, she's realized all that I've done to help put her back together. And this is going to be amazing. And he goes and sits in the chair and she's like, you need to have sex with John. You need to make John happy. <laughs> yes. And you can't tell John oh. that I'm like dub conning you into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. It actually did deal with the subcon and non-con issues, even though, like, in the end, Roddy was like, I was not okay with what the AI made me do, but I was okay with sleeping with you. Had I known this is what you wanted, I probably would have acted on it on my own. That actually reminds me of several sentient Atlantic fics that deal with sex in some way. It's not the only type of sentient Atlantic fix that there is, but that one is obviously quite common. And there's also fix by Tuft. And there's a, a podfic read by Ko. It has all sorts of warning for constant play and, and Dupkan and etc. But it has to do with a sentient Atlantis that does stuff to John. There are also ones that are not quite the whole all of Atlantis necessarily sentient as a single mind. But I know there were a couple different stories that had podfix where things like the tables or the puddle jumpers or whatever would be sentient. And they'd be remarking when, like, John and Rodney have sex on them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. The the first sentient table fake is part of the, mm-hmm. I think it's me, because it's part of that particular month. That was a great project. The author, it's Run Punk Run, the author decided to write an SGA ficlet every day for a month. So some of them were more fic length and some of them were 600 words, because it's hard to write every day a different story. And... I decided to record them and to do the same calendar that she had, so to record one a day, which is really interesting because, for example, on on day, like, 11, I think she was tired, so the entry says, I'm tired today, so here's a short story. And when I came to that part of recording it on the 11th day of recording every day, I was also super tired. It was very funny. And so one of these fakes has a sentient table. Sentient puddle jumpers are everywhere. I don't even know if I can think of one particular story about it. 
I, I think there was one called something like In the Jumper Bay or something. Yes. And then there's a Things with Wings story called Mechanical Advantage. Is that the one where Atlantis grows tentacles that fuck Rodney? <laughs> I don't think I, I'm aware of that one. The fun thing with SJ is that, well, I can't really remember that story. I absolutely kind of can't see it in my mind. Because it's such a SGA thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it fits all the tropes. Like, they use yeah. all the sci-fi elements to make a yeah. fuck, fucking machines story or... I mean, you couldn't have just invented that one on the spot right now, and I would totally believe you that it, that it exists. So let's jump on to the next trope, which is Atlantis breaks from Earth. Because I loved that trope. I I loved it too. Like if you're not aware of like the basic premise of Stargate Atlantis, Atlantis is on another planet in another galaxy, and when they went over there, they thought it was a one-way trip, or they thought it was probably a one-way trip. And one of my biggest complaints about the canon of Stargate Atlantis is that they reestablish contact with Earth so quickly. Yeah. I would have preferred that, like, just the entire series, they've been left on their own. Yeah. But that's not what happened. So there's a lot of fix out there where that did happen to some extent or not, or that by the time Earth caught up with them, they were just, no, we're not doing this. We've got our own thing going, and we're not loyal to you anymore. Or for whatever reasons, they've decided to just make their own country or or whatever and they would just break from earth and probably the most well-known example of that is uh written by by the victors yeah written by the victors which was perfect by everyone yes (laughs) but a lot of people i was in it i was in it as well it's not that many people but it's like 15 or something it's really a lot yeah It's a really clever concept for the story where, because history is written by the victors, you have excerpts of mock-ups of academic papers written on Earth after the break of Atlantis from Earth. In between that, you have scenes that are basically flashbacks, if you look at them from the moment where those academic articles exist, of what was happening on Atlantis at the time. Mm-hmm. You have a real presence of the characters you love, and they go through things, and they decide stuff, and they fight, and they fuck, and whatever. And at the same time, you have all these voices of different academic Earth people who basically got it all wrong. Who well, no, also fight between each other. So it's a send-up of academia as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so the history that's written by the victors is actually a pile of rubbish. There was also, like, on the Gen side, there was the Retrograde series by Martha Wilson. The series as a whole was recorded by a bunch of different people. The original one, or the first story in it, was recorded by Kizzy. Yeah, and then Arwen Loon did a few of them, and Lunette 8 did some of them. Yeah, this is an amazing, amazing Gen series. It's one where Earth has lost contact with Atlantis, and when they finally, like, send out a mission to try and reestablish contact because they finally are able to get there, bad stuff has happened, and SG-1 is trying to figure out how they can help the Atlanteans. There was, like, the NID had had gotten there first, which were an SG-1 bad guy. Yeah. And so they're trying to, like, help the Atlanteans stop the NID, but also be like, 
hey, you shouldn't trust us. We just want to help you. And the Atlanteans being like, fuck you, we don't trust anyone right now. <laughs> yeah, so it's an amazing crossover for SG-1 and SGA. There's more than 10 hours of Patrick to listen to. And it's it's amazingly plotty. It has action bits. It has funny character moments. It has great character development. It's one of my favorite series of all times. Okay. So the next topic that we had, I put mundane AUs, but really there were like two separate kinds of AUs that did very well. The mundane AUs started coming out a lot in the later seasons as canon had kind of diverged pretty differently from how fandom had. And as, as fandom was maybe getting ready to move on, we started getting a lot more Earthside AUs or, or mundane AUs where, you know, they worked in coffee shops or whatever. And there were some really great ones there. Uh, Yinigan did a bunch of them and she did them earlier on that I really enjoyed. Like I remember she had like a series that was like five cracked out AUs and they were just random AUs. There was one where like John was a photographer and Rodney was a food arranger for photo shoots. And then there was one where like they were hairdressers and just like a bunch of... Yeah, she read our own fic and it's, it's called Crack AUs for the people who love them. Ah, uh, there we go. It's one of my favorite podfics. It's a podfic that actually, even though I put all my podfic on a special iPod, whatever, usually Crack AUs is on my phone. It's just hilarious and really funny. And there's a bit in it that I particularly love, which is that in one of them, Rodney meets John on the beach because John is a lifeguard while he goes to college somewhere. And Rodney is a scientist who takes sample of bioorganisms on the beach every day. And so in the fic, when she'd written it, she used... (laughs) She used actual algae names. So it was Latin names for some algae that had difficult to pronounce names. And when she recorded the podfic, she sort of said unpronounceable names that the author chose to look up when she wrote the story or whatever. Yeah, but she's like, seriously, I just Googled this, guys. That was a great aside. And and she managed to not break stride in the pace of her sentence, and the aside doesn't take you out of the story at all. It's just superbly done. I love that bit. That sounds um, great. And it's also probably something that an author does that potfix their own work, but I, I wouldn't do if I... What's fake? Another one's work. SGA has several, pretty much all good, if I remember right, coffee shop AUs. And I don't think I've read coffee shop AUs before SGA. I don't think I had either. So one of the coffee shop AUs in SGA that I love is by Estefie, and it's called Fair Trade. Yeah. And there's a the sequel called Mobius. So Fair Trade and Mobius have both been potfixed by Wiluta, and I really love the potfix. They're great. Another really great series of kind of mundane things was the Bell Curve series by Rage Proof Rock, which was podficked by the pod figure that has the chemical formula for the name. So Bell Curve and Learning Curve. and But anyways, the, the premise of that one was hilarious, where Rodney was like a university professor, and he meets John at a strip club where he's stripping. And then it turns out that John is his T.A., 
Yes, that's an amazing series. The Potvik is great. I actually was confused. I didn't Potvik that. I Potvik the th- a thing which was notable for me in SGA, not only because it's one of my earliest ones, but because it's a hat series. I haven't read that much hat in SGA. SGA had a decent hat section. It did. It, it had like the John Weir section. It had the Taylor Ronan section. It had uh, like Sparky and Spanky were the two names for them. And there were some podfix that were created for them. I just, they weren't on my radar because it wasn't what I was into at the time. I was into some hat pairings, but. See, my biggest hat pairing in that fandom was Elizabeth Ronan. Right. So I've read a, a bit of that. I read a bit of John Taylor and Rodney Taylor. I was more inclined to read OT4 for the team. Yeah. So John Taylor, Ronan and Rodney. Yeah. But I recorded this is for me, it's a really sort of rare pairing, even in the sort of head section, because it was Rodney Cadman fix. I don't think I've ever read any other series than that one, actually. Okay, I just wanted to check on the Audiothic archive if I find other Cadman McKay fix. There's only one by Snittywing, read by Dodificus, called Rave Atlantis. Oh, yes, I remember that one. It was an example of an early use of heavy use of music in Podfic. Yeah. Because it's taking place at a rave and there was music and each scene break would kind of have like a different song playing. And and it was a super effective use that I remember really stood out to me at the time. Yeah. I think the other part of AUs that is there, there were a lot of crack AUs. Right. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Yeah, just off-the-wall ones where there was a lot of, like, they get turned into animals. Penguin fic was its own trope. It had enough that it was on its own. I know dolphins were also kind of popular. Yeah. That was the first pod vid that happened, I I believe. The epic tale of of Rodney and John, two Girl Scout cookies in love. Yeah. Pixar didn't happen remix. Yeah, it's a video because there is heavy use of images in the fic itself. And when they podficked it, they turned those pictures into a video that played with the podfic. And it was like just such a classic example of the random shit that SGA would come out with. Or like, let's make them Girl Scout cookies. Why not? Why not? The, the one that this one wasn't where they got turned into it, but was they just were from the beginning was the But Where Would They Live series. By Things with Wings, read by General Ginger. Yes. And then it also has the sequel, The Dreams That You Dare to Dream, or But What Were the Children Look Like? And it's one where John is a rainbow and Rodney is a unicorn, (laughs) and they fall in love. And Ronan was the wind and Taylor was like, or a dolphin? I don't even remember. And (laughs) I, I just love the bit when, like, John's like, let's have a kid, and Rodney's like, how? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just, he stops asking and just tries really hard to have a kid having no idea how they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's just so typical and it's a great pod fic. Yeah. One thing that I did want to add, because I think we'd be remiss not to talk about it. I'm pretty sure they were the fandom that originated BDSM AUs. Yes, I was looking at my list of podfics and thinking about that. Cause, and, and the Xanthi ones, which were the original ones, have been podficked. 
Oh, have they? Yeah, they're they're all podfict. Just a little background, like it was the first one where like it was set in a world where everyone is born like either a dom or a sub or like a switch, and it it caused a lot of different feelings about it when it came out, but it was it was hugely popular. And like I said, the the whole series, uh, or at least the whole fandom side of the series, because I think one of the stories in there was was published as original mm-hmm. fiction. It was a NCIS and SGA crossover at one point. So there's some some that are just SGA and some that are just NCIS, and then one where it's both. And John was the dom, and Rodney was the sub. Coming home, which is my favorite of them, it was about them meeting. And it was podficked by Cerulean Scarab. I came to the BDSMAU with the reaction to Xanthes. Yeah, Take Clothes Off as Directed. Right. Take Clothes Off as Directed is read by oh, Anne Sudat and was written by Helen. Again, it was one of those good, like, here's a trope, here's the reaction to it. The original fix by Xanthi were definitely divisive within fandom. There's a lot of people that really loved them and a lot of people that really didn't. I think the thing is, when Xanthi wrote them, it was very much in fantasy world. She wasn't trying to create, like, an, her world yeah. building wasn't supposed to be ironclad. It was kind of like, this is a prop to explore these kinks that I enjoy. And, and that is... The way that I like them is on a fantasy level, like where no one needs safe words because everyone just knows each other so well and stuff like that. And so for people that wanted better world building, it was very disappointing. No, absolutely. And I I absolutely enjoy things that are totally unrealistic world building wise. I think this story was for me at the wrong time because I was really right into my sociology studies so wrong time for for me so I think that was most of the tropes that we had in the list are there any other tropes that we wanted to cover one thing that I liked in that fandom was the branch of fandom that was doing crossover with the other works that the actors had done particularly usually centered around David Hewlett yeah, there's like the Python stuff and the dog's breakfast stuff. One that I have a potfic for. Actually, it's Yin again who wrote and then read and potficed her own stories. Sort of semi-mundane AU because some of the other characters have normal jobs, but SGA is still SGA, including a very long series called A Thing Decided. It stars another Flanagan character who's a lawyer who ends up going to Atlantis and because he clerks for a Supreme Court justice and he discovers that Atlantis exists and he has an adventure with Rodney McKay. And then later in the series, Rodney and John get together and this guy who's basically a doppelganger for John, once he's back on Earth, falls for a guy who's another character played by David Hewlett in another property. So there's all sorts of fun like that. I like these crossovers. There were more than this one, but that's the one that I have in Patrick form, I think. Another thing that just occurred to me are, they're not AUs necessarily, but like the Earthside stories where Atlantis happens, but now they're on Earth. And a lot of the times they could be like, like where they run into people that they knew beforehand and just how much they've changed. There's that great one where like Rodney takes up an offer to do like consulting and he brings John along. Ordinary life. Yeah. And it's an Asolat and Speranza 
co-authored story where basically John gets to be James Bond and Rodney gets to have a day on the beach being paid awful sums of money to do science and have sex with John, which is they both get the ideal vacation that they need. And the Patrick is by Zoetrope. Yeah. And it's an extraordinary Patrick. It has like over 900 plays in my iTunes. I heartily recommend it to everyone. The ones that I go back to a lot is Bang by Rage Proof Rock that she wrote and read. And it's one where they're on Earth doing like, you know, annual paperwork or whatever. And John, who lives on Atlantis, where he can control the city with his brain, um, is not used to having to open doors and keeps running into them. And Rodney keeps taking him to the hospital where they think Rodney is John's abusive boyfriend. I've also got that Eureka crossover yes. that Podfic Lover recorded that was written by Rage Proof Rock, the Summer House series. Yes. Where John and Rodney have a summer home in Eureka, which was a show that played like on the same day, either before or after Stargate on the sci-fi channel in the U.S. So there's a lot of people in Stargate that at least watched Eureka. Eureka is a ridiculous show where it's basically a town run by mad scientists and there's like a hapless sheriff who's trying to keep everyone in line as they keep blowing shit up. And and the sheriff lives in a sentient house, which is also <laughs> another connection that they have. Yeah. But uh, Earthside, again, Zootrope, who's one of my favorite pot makers, there's another Speranza story called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Oh, yes, yes. Where they're Earthside for not just a sort of annual review, whatever, but also it turns out while they are Earthside, they understand that Elizabeth, who runs the city, is being taken to many different meetings in which the authorities are trying to decide if they're going to fold the entire expedition or break Atlantis, or bring back Atlantis to Earth, or something like that. So their jobs are in danger, basically, and their way of life. But they're also sort of R&R time, where they're actually really depressed. And yeah. it unfolds like that. It's a great story, and the Patrick, again, is wonderful. As we're talking, I'm looking through my links and being like, how can we do a Stargate episode without me talking about this Podfic? And it's like every second Podfic of this, like, 60 Podfic list. So there's so much high-quality Podfic in this fandom. I can't even... It's still a semi-active fandom. Like, my heart breaks a little for her, but there's Library Chick 94 on AO3 who regularly posts Stargate Atlantis podfic. Like, that seems to be her main podfic fandom. And I just, my heart breaks for her because if she has been active during the height of the fandom, she for sure would have been a podfic BNF because she's a really good reader whenever I've listened to her work. And she... Podfic's really great stories, but I just know she's not getting the attention she deserves because that fandom's not as active today as it used to be. And she's made a series of one of the back on earth sort of future fic that was huge in the fandom, A Farm in Iowa by Shia Fravadon. And I have podfics for A Farm in Iowa that are maybe not cover the whole series because the series was really, really long, by Hack Benjamin 22 which I, I yeah. like. But apparently, Library Chick 94 also is recording a farm in Iowa. 
The one that I know I've listened to and enjoyed by her was Weapons of Some Distraction, written by Shrift. It's set during the um, six weeks they spent on Earth in season three, when there's like this plot line where the ancients tried to take Atlantis back. So I guess when you think of Podfickers in Stargate Atlantis, who do you think of? I think of Zootrope first because she recorded some of my favorite stories and I love her performances. I love her voice. I love her reading. So the ones that I've listened the most are Benched by Speranza as well and MVP by Speranza. I used to know MVP by heart. (laughs) I've listened to that so many times. Yeah, I have no idea. And she recorded a Monday AU that's amazing called Junk Cheap. Written by Devil Doll. Oh, yes. Junk Sheep was really fun. Junk Sheep is so comforting and amazing. And Rodney's on Earth and he has to rent a a flat. And he rents an apartment in a building where there's only old retired people and a weird guy who bikes around. And it turns out the weird guy also owns the junk shop nearby. And, of course, they meet and they and they fall in love and stuff happens. And the story is so great. And Zootrope's reading is perfect. So she's really one of the first part figures I think of. And then there's Yin, which we talked about. There's Prue, who also perfect her own work. Things with Wings recorded a few stories by Tuft, by herself. I love Punchline and Kiss Nine Times are probably the ones that I most listen to. Rhea. Yeah, she's definitely on my list. Two of the ones that I've listened to the most from her are The Girls of St. Mary's. Yes, Which is a gender and sex swap AU. Yeah. Where they're at a girls boarding school. And M is for Monster, which is another one of those like really political ones that's again dealing with gay rights by Selenhart, Celine Hart. It's basically one where there's like a genetic component to being gay and they like test people to see if they're gay. And if you do, you basically end up in like sort of an internment camp type situation where they use you for manual labor and whatnot. And your rights are really restricted and stuff like that. Right. And John's been in one for a very long time, but Rodney had hippie parents and he hadn't gotten the test done until he applied for a government job. And they discovered he had the marker and he lost his life and was thrown into one of these camps. And uh, Rodney is not meant for manual labor. He is very much an intellectual and he starts trying to break the rules and get around it. And and John helps him all the while being like, I'm so going to die from this. They're just going to kill us. And it's really moving. And Rhea has like a really like, especially when she reads it, she's got a very measured voice, but she can put a lot of emotion into it when she reads. And it just really does a good job of conveying like some of the horror of the situation. Right. Dodificus is another one who had done a lot. of Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Dodificus recorded... A lot of it. She recorded Kid A by Speranza, which is great, and Life Lessons Learned from Aliens, which is an 11 inches story that's great. She recorded Advantage by Resonant that I love so much. Advantage is a sort of slavery story, but my favorite I think she did is Second Skin, which is a tuft story. And it starts where they're basically enslaved, actually, but they've been captured. Or John only, I think, has been captured on an alien planet. And his captors make him wear a skirt and basically be the barmaid in their tavern. 
and they humiliate him and he sleeps like on a straw mat on the floor or something. But mostly it's the, the cross-dressing thing and the humiliating that's going on at the start. And during the course of the story that's told from John's point of view, I think you start to understand, even though John is super repressed and it's very slow going, that actually he enjoyed the cross-dressing. And it's a story where he slowly gets together with Rodney. And there's so much achiness and poignancy about John's thought processes and the stuff that he denies himself. It's actually a good example of one of the unwritten tropes of a lot of SGA fandom, which is looking into John as a character because he's such a weirdo. You know what I mean? People definitely read John as... Not that it was quite as common of a term back during the mid-aughts, but they really played with John's queerness. Yeah. Because if anyone was going to have the gay freakout that was a little bit more common during those timelines, it was generally Rodney, not John. Well, but because Rodney freaks out so easily about everything. Yeah, and John was just, for all that he was in, like, the military, which can encourage a lot of sameness and groupthink and whatnot, he was very different, and people would play with that. And also, he was really weird. I mean, he was queer in many ways that don't have to be, you know, sexual queerness or gender queerness. He was played as a weirdo by the actor. He was written inconsistently in a way that made it even easier to make him a weirdo when you embodied him and when you read him. And so Second Skin is really lovely in that in that sort of trope because it also plays a lot on his interiority and the way that he doesn't show much or say much or, or even reveal himself to himself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Dodificus's reading is amazing. There's a second story in the same series called Skin Tights that she also recorded, but it's it's lighter in tone because it's after John's coming to himself for real and he's in a relationship with Rodney and, and they're sort of experimenting with the cross-dressing on Earth or something. It's a much more fun, light-hearted story. But the first one is just, the reading is great. Like, it's one of my favorite podcasts of Dodie's ever. And she has recorded a lot, and I've listened to a lot of what she's recorded. <laughs> but yeah. this one, I, I really, really love it. And then there's, there was a reader that I don't think I've ever listened to in another fandom, so that must be the only fandom we have in common, Winking Star. She did a few part fakes. I have several of hers. But the one that I listened to the most is called Wide Open Ocean. Oh, uh, yes. Written by Setisma. And it's a story on Earth where there's no Atlantis. John works in an aquarium. It's a very soft, very open reading of a story that's also very heartachy about loneliness. And then McKay arrives at the aquarium and John can finally sort of blossom and, and find companionship. And it's just a super lovely story. And the potfix is about an hour long. It's one of my favorite soft potfix. General Ginger was also a huge pod ficker in that fandom. She recorded a lot of staples. Yeah. One that I was actually talking to my roommates about the other day was Healing Station Arg by Toft. And it's one where before becoming a runner, Ronan was a soap opera star. And there was also a bit in it about how in Pegasus, people are very conscious of like, unwanted pregnancies so one of the ways that they get around it is they do like more pegging and stuff yes 
And there's like a scene of in the show of Ronan getting pegged and John and Rodney are like, whoa. And Taylor's a little like, you guys are, have such weird hangups. But also they're kind of looking at the device used for the pegging and they're like, doesn't, doesn't Elizabeth have one of those on her desk? She does. And Taylor's like, I thought it was a message. And we're like, no, she doesn't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called a wankum. Yes, that was it. Yeah, if you want to laugh, like if you've never listened to any SGA ever and you want to laugh, just go and listen to Healing Station Arc because it's yeah. amazing through and through. And Jinjoli's reading is perfect. And like she did a lot of different stories. Yeah. So she did some silly ones, but she also did some definitely more serious ones too. She partaked the story called In the City of Seven Walls, which... Yes. Yeah, it's like I have the first part is nine hours and 30 minutes, and the second part is seven hours and 30 minutes. And it's a huge, sprawling slavery AU where John and Rodney are captured, and they are made to be slaves for super long in captivity in this different planet. And then eventually they are rescued, and they have to reintegrate Atlantis. But of course, in the meantime, they've been traumatized over and over again, and also they've become lovers. And it's a story by Obernat Henner, and it's an amazing potvik as well, yeah. Which kind of brings to mind, not as long and sprawling, by you, and it's, you know, Terms of Service, which was written by Resonant, Yes. That's one that I've listened to over and over again a lot. John and Rodney basically agree to a short-term, like, slavery term so that they can get access to technology that this planet has to offer. And they both think that it's going to be great fun. And Rodney's doing fine with the person that buys him, but the person that buys John is not okay, is terrible. And, like, John starts getting super traumatized by it. Yeah, that story comes with all the warnings. John is even forced to commit rape on top of being raped himself. Yeah, but it's it's a good story. I really liked it. You've done so many podfics that I've listened to, like on a more cracky level, When in Haldoria, written by Speranza. That's the one where, like, they go to the planet where they're all dressed up really. Uh, I just, the summary for it that I always remember is, hey, Elton John wants his planet back. <laughs> So that's one of my favorite ones. It's by Things with Wings, the story, and it's one where Atlantis is sentient and has tentacles and all sorts of stuff happens, and it's called Read My Mind. I really like it. But I think the project that comes to my mind as a potficker, the stuff I did in SGA, the first one I think of is that particular month, this anthology of like 30 potfics. And it's only like two hours and 40 minutes or something because most of them are short. But it was such an interesting project. It was really satisfying reading all these stories. I don't know. What else did I do? I did a few Speranza ones that I really like, the Group W Bench and Scars, which is a back-on-earth type story. And then Feeding Frenzy is a wacky tech type thing where they receive or they find an artifact and they don't know what it is and they turn it on. And it actually makes everyone sex stupid, so they all start having sex with one another. The way that it's written is very funny because it's written from their point of view, but because their minds are addled, They don't even understand that what's happening is not normal. You know what I mean? Mm. 
So they yeah. do all these weird things that they wouldn't normally do, like stripping each other and, and having sex with each other and gangbanging each other or whatever. But they don't even understand that something is being weird. Do you have any flair? I think Penny Play Knits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at the beginning, I basically listened to her pod fake and no one else's, basically. <laughs> uh, she has some lovely ones. Actually, one for a crack AU that I now remember. Rodney has cheeseburger with their cat. Yes, cat is, macros. Yes. And which is very funny and also sweet. And she also has a mundane AU. She has also written herself. I know whether both designers, John is the elusive, mysterious designer everyone talks about and everyone wants to have something designed by them and Rodney and Taylor, they have a design studio together and Rodney really, really can't stand this, these designs and then they meet and John knows that Rodney doesn't like him and then he tells him his a wrong name for himself and then they start dating and yeah. Technical perspective by Penny Planets. Okay, so that was our episode focused on Stargate Atlantis. We look forward to maybe hearing from you and to our next episode next month. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>